I like never want to stop you guys because I'm so happy that we're all together and talking. So I'm like, this is the best. Let's just talk the rest of the service. Let's just hang out. I missed you guys. So no. Um, okay. So I'll tell you guys the answer to my question. Um, I live in Santa Ana, and so the fireworks are there. Like in my driveway and all around and everywhere. So <laughs> I don't have to go anywhere. It's going to be amazing. So <laughs> they've been happening all night long. Actually, I saw this really funny meme the other day that was like, excuse me, can you tell your children to be quiet? I've been throwing fireworks up all night long. <laughs> and I feel like that's my neighbors because they've been doing fireworks all night and they're tired and they want to rest when it's time to get up in the morning. So anyways, welcome to church. Happy 4th of July. You guys, it's so good to see your face. I'm so happy you guys came here this weekend. There's lots of people traveling and whatnot, so it's like a big deal that you're here on church and you're like ready to worship and praise God on a Sunday morning when you could be out doing fireworks. So I'm so excited to see you guys all here. Um, so whether you're obviously here or if you're watching online with us, you may know that we've been doing a series called Hello, My Name is Jesus, and we've just been following along the journey of Jesus' life through the book of Luke. And the last, this is actually, we're getting really close to the end, you guys. I know we've been doing this series for a really long time, but it's been so enlightening and so amazing, but we're actually getting so close to the end. And actually today, we're going to be talking about one of the, literally the last time that Luke records Jesus talking to the crowd. And so in this moment, this is, like, this is like the last pep talk that Jesus is giving to the crowd of, of people following him. And so in this moment, he's like, I have some really serious things that we got to cover. These are the things that I want you to remember. These are going to be some of the staples of your faith. This is, you got to get this because I'm not going to tell you it again. They don't know that, but he knows as he's getting down to the wire, there are some things that he needs them to know. And so, you know, I, I don't know if you guys remember me telling you this in the past, but I have been a coach. I used to coach dance in high school. And there was a few things that, you know, you practice all season long and you get down to like the final wire in your, your big competition. It's like you've done all of the, you know, basics, you've done all of your training, and now you're to the point where it's like, now, now it's your time. You got to go out there and you got to do your best. And so what are some of the things that I would tell my team this is what I see Jesus doing in here, actually. He's telling his team some of the most important things, and it always gets right down to the heart. It always gets right down to the heart because you've done everything you can do. You don't need to go over the basics again. You need to tell them. Remember, look out for each other. Make sure you guys know you're a team, and you are. You guys have to take care of each other. you you got to look out for the weakest member. This is the thing I always used to say to my team. You're only as strong as your weakest member. So make sure that you're supporting and you're uplifting the weakest member on your team. Um, not only that, but then every member of the team, whether you're the MVP of the team, whether you're the best, or whether you're the most improved, it doesn't matter. Everyone gives their best. You go out there and you give it everything that you have, whether you get the whole time to play the game or you only get five minutes. You give your best. You do your best. And then the last thing is that what you tell them, you show them a little bit of footage of what they're up against, right? Because you want them to know what they're going to be coming up against and you want them to be prepared. You're not trying to intimidate them, but you want them to know this is what you're up against. So you got to come back with just as much force as the other team, right? So we're going to start, and we're going to read from Luke 20, 
46 and 47. So if you guys have your Bibles open, we're going to open it up and we're going to just read through this and we're going to talk about what Jesus is saying to everyone at, during this very last pep talk he has with them. And don't be, um, don't, you might be surprised when you see the first part, but you'll see where I'm going with it. So we were going to be doing just Luke 21, but it actually, it actually starts in uh, 2046. Um, and so in order to get the full story, you have to start there. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can just follow along with me on the screen. But let's just jump right in. He said, beware of the, these teachers of the religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes, and they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at the banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. Now, I'm just going to preface this by saying the Pharisees knew a lot of stuff. They were like, they had the reputation of the MVP, right? They, were, they knew the Torah back to front, front to back. They could name any reference, any reference that you would give them, and they would know it. But just because you know the scripture does not mean that you practice the scripture. And actually, I would go as far to say that unless you've been practicing it over and over, you don't really know it in your heart. And so these guys, just because they knew it doesn't mean they were doing it well. And so the Pharisees certainly knew about their charge to care for the widows because there was literally an entire book that they had to memorize about it. If you guys look in the Old Testament, there's a book called Ruth, and it's all about two widows taking care of each other and then other members of their family taking care of them. And so they should have known how important it was to take care of widows. So for some of us, how does this apply to us? Because I think some of us, we may know scripture in and out. We may know it. We can repeat it until we're blue in the face. But I think in this moment, Jesus is saying, even if you know the scripture, even if you know a little or a lot, are you practicing that scripture? Are you living that out? Are you taking care of the people that God has put in your charge? Because other people's lives should be affected in a positive way by our faith. And if they're not, how much do we really know the scripture? How much do we really know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And I hope this is a question that like kind of haunts us every day. Is who is being affected by my faith? Who's being affected by my faith? I hope somebody in my life is being affected and knows about Jesus because I don't just know this, but I know this through my doing, right? So the lesson is look out for each other because you're only as strong as your weakest members. But instead of helping the widows, the weakest members, the Pharisees actually went the opposite direction and they were cheating the widows. Now, it does not really explain what, they're mean, what they mean there. And so... I'm, there is a little bit of ambiguity about what was happening there, but the historians believe that it was either one, or one of two things. One, they either talked these women into giving away their, their children's inheritance or giving away their homes instead of being taken care of, right? Or instead of passing on their inheritance to their children. Um, they either talked them out of it. They, covered, they used, you know, religious piety to cover up manipulation, basically, so they could get more money. 
or the other thing that they did was either that or they talked to their children and they convinced their children to do so much for the church that the children weren't taking care of their parents the way that they were supposed to. And so either way, they had created this manipulative structure that took them to the point of convincing other people to neglect their family, which is like the opposite <laughs> of what the church should be doing, right? God actually cares about how we care for our family, our, our physical family. He cares about that. He wants us to care for them in such a way that we show other people how he cares for us. We should love our family with the same devotion and intention that he shows to us. And it is, it is not in our good end game to not take care of our family. Jesus is like, if you guys take bad care of your family, you're a terrible representation of me. It's not in his best interest to take all of your money and all of your time so that you don't have anything to give back. He cares about your family. And he cares about his family. We all play a part in this family, too. Because the Pharisees, they weren't only asking people to not care for their own family and taking them that money, but they were neglecting their own duties to God's family. So they were like double cheating these widows, right? There should have been really no reason for the Pharisees to not be able to help these widows, even financially. There's a lot of um, examples in the New Testament of the church caring for the widows financially, taking care of them, feeding them, you know, caring for their needs. And so these guys, they should have been doing that. And, and honestly, there really was no reason because, guys, I'm, I'm honestly a little bit jealous, but Herod, the, rule, the religious ruler, or not the religious, the, the government ruler of that time, actually had rebuilt and refurbished that temple already with taxpayer money. So there was none of that money going back into the temple. There should have been a stockpile of money for these Pharisees to be taking care of these widows. And instead, they were walking around with their flowing robes, right? You can guess by where that money went, by their flowing robe situation. I almost wore a flowing dress today, then I was like, oh, I'm going to be giving off Pharisee vibes. <laughs> I was like, no, I can't do it. But, you know, these guys, they were absolutely taking care of these. They were taking away from these widows. They were well cared for. And clearly they were all about their image management, right? They were all about, you know, making sure they were seen praying these long prayers in public. They were all about having these fancy clothes and looking really slick. But, you know, it's not always just Pharisees who do this. Sometimes it's us too. And image management can be a huge distraction from our mission in our own life. You know, honestly, the, the older I get, the less and less I care about this because I realize you can't control it anyways. <laughs> the more time you spend trying to control your image, the less control you actually have over your own life anyways. Because you spend so much time like spending money on getting more stuff and all this whatever, and all the things in our life that really matter get the last little bits of our life. And in the end, you literally have nothing to show for it. So you can't give your energy to what matters the most if you're too busy managing your own image. So, so Jesus is saying to us, stay faithful to who I've put in your care. Take care of each other. 
So then he goes on, and in the next part it says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. And this is that second lesson that I talked about. Every member, from the NVP to the most improved, every member gives their best. And at this point, the widow was like double cheated already. She had two mites, which is like nothing. It's like not, it's nothing at all compared to what they had. And she gave out of her poverty. She still had a heart of saying, God still deserves my best. And they barely even gave out of their excess. You look at the dichotomy of that, and you see whose heart was right. And I don't think that it was a coincidence that Jesus talked about those two things right in a row. Because he was just telling the disciples about how corrupt that was and how messed up that was. And along comes this widow and just probably breaks all of their hearts because she's like, I still love God. You can take away everything I have, but you can't take away my heart. Because it's not a state of your wealth that matters. It's the state of your heart. So who gets the best of you? How can you give your best to your earthly family? And also, how can you give your best to your kingdom family, right? We're all called to take care of both. How can we take care of both? So the, the lesson number three that I had talked to you about is this is the moment when Jesus is showing them the footage of the opposing team, right? How many of you guys have ever been in a team where you had to watch the footage of your opponents so you could study and learn what their, what their tactics were, okay? This is that moment where Jesus is like, this is who you're up against. Now, get ready, because I'm about to send you out, and you're not going to have me with you. So here's what happens. Some of Jesus' disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the, mo the memorial decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of the another. Teacher, they asked, when will this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to take place? And he replied, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and saying the time has come, but don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. And then he added, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and there will be great famines and plagues in many lands. And there will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. Now, a lot of times we look at that and we think, oh, that's today. That's, we got to be watching for that. Well, actually, he was talking to them about what they were going to experience in their lifetime. And there's well-documented history books that say that literally everything that Jesus just said would happen. And speaking of that temple that the disciples were admiring, it would be demolished, just like he said, stone by stone. Actually, in 40 AD, just 40 years after Jesus' birth, there was a widespread Jewish revolution against the Romans in Palestine. And unfortunately, Jerusalem was completely leveled, including the temple, just 40 years after Jesus' birth. And it's said that in the fall of Jerusalem, um, 
the surviving Jews, there weren't very many left, but they all fled to hide in the temple because the temple was the most secure structure in the entire city. So they all went inside of there, but the Romans came and and circled the temple, and one of them was drunk and was holding on to a, a, like, what do you call these? A torch. And he dropped it, and it was, like, engulfed the entire facility. And not only that, it was so hot that it melted the gold into the cracks of the temple. And so what the Roman commander told them to do was, well, everything's destroyed, but I want that gold. So he had them literally take apart the temple brick by brick. Exactly how Jesus said. So they took apart the temple so much so that we don't even know where it is to this day. We can speculate, but we don't even know where that temple is today just so they could get the gold. Not only that, but then 100 years after Jesus' birth, Bar Kokhba was another false prophet who would come saying that he was the Messiah and now was the time, and that he led 6,000 Jews to their death. They were totally crushed by Rome again. So the end times, were they were coming, but there were other things that needed to happen first. And in their lifetime soon, they were about to face a lot of trials. So he's not done. He's got more, unfortunately. <laughs> There's more for them. And this is what he says. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. But you will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you're my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer these charges against you. I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. And even those closest to you, your parents, your brothers, your relatives, and your friends, they will betray you. They will even kill some of you. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And I don't know about you, but I I think some of us may feel that a little bit (laughs) in this time period. We're not dragged into, we're not dragged into, you know, rings and being martyred for our faith. We're not. But I think some of us may be for the first time experiencing a time where people are really unfriendly to Christians. And we have to more than ever be ready to share our faith in a way that's kind and loving and attractive to people. And if we're one with God, he promises to give us the words to say. And as you read through the New Testament, you're going to see, and I hope you get faith and get built up from this, because the disciples, they were dragged into court. They were pulled into all kinds of crazy situations. Some of them were martyred. But that was the way that the gospel spread throughout the world, was through their persecution. And so we have an opportunity here to spread the gospel, even in some of our most difficult moments. And then he goes on to say this. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, which we heard about already, then you will know that the time of its destruction has arrived. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. Those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city. For those will be the days of God's vengeance, and the prophetic words of the scriptures will be fulfilled. And how terrible it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. For there will be a disaster in the land and great anger against his people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. 
And many of us are aware of the Jews being exiled out of Jerusalem for over a thousand years. It wasn't until 1968 that they were able to return and have somewhat of power over their, their nation again. 1968. So all of this happened. You guys know the history. It's a long, very storied past that I won't get into, and I'm not, <laughs> there's too much to even go into all the history of that. I am not a historian, and I cannot, to, like, break that whole thing down for you. But I can say that they didn't come back until 1968. And many people would argue that we're still in the time of the Gentiles right now because they still don't really have full control over that area. It's still, there's still a mix of power in that area. So there's another part, and that, this is just a tiny little slice of history as well, but when it talks about the women the being terrible for nursing mothers and um, pregnant women, I believe, actually, that that was a prophetic moment talking about a couple of women named Felicitas and Perpetua. Now, they are not mentioned in the Bible. It was, it was post-Bible, um, about 100 years. And actually, um, this was a time, they lived in Rome at a time when the Jews were extremely persecuted. And uh, Felicitas, some call her Felicity, was actually um, pregnant, and they captured her right after she gave her life to Jesus because she wouldn't stop talking about him. He changed her life so much that she could not stop talking about him. And so the Romans, they captured her, and they were like, you need to tell us that you don't believe in Jesus anymore. You need to renounce your faith. And even her family came and begged her to renounce her faith because they were going to be persecuted if she didn't do it. She was pregnant at the time. And so they had a rule that they would not um, crucify anyone who was uh, pregnant. They would not kill anyone who was pregnant. So they waited till she had her baby. She was nursing the baby. And they said one more time, her family came and begged her one more time. They said, will you please denounce your faith so that we don't have to kill you? And she said, it is my honor to die, to be joined in the same fate of my Savior. Can you imagine she just had a baby. She's a nursing mom, and she chooses because she loves Jesus so much. He's changed her life so much that she's like, take me in. I will gladly give my life. And when she went into the ring with these wild animals, she wasn't fully killed. She, there's a part of the story where she looked at the soldier, and she said, right here. And she took his knife, and she pointed it into her neck and said, do it. I can't wait to meet my Savior. Can you imagine having that kind of faith? And I think sometimes we're like, such babies, we're like, you know, my coworkers, like, Christians are bad, you know? And she's like, no, right here. It's my honor to die for my Savior. Gosh, I can't even, like, <laughs> it's, like, overwhelming me a little bit. But then Jesus goes on. That I, I know you guys probably aren't here for the history lesson, but I think it's important for us to hear about what believers have been going through for the rest, since the beginning of time, right? But then Jesus goes on and he says, okay, at this moment, I'm going to be talking to the next generations. And his, the disciples and the crowd, they don't really know at that moment what he's talking about. But Jesus, is this is where he's talking to us. He knows in that moment that these words are going to be carried on for generation after generation after generation. And this is what he wants us to know for our life. 
He says, and there will be strange signs in the sun and moon and stars. And here on earth, nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the man coming, the son of man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that summer is near. And in this same way, you will see all these things taking place. You can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. And just so you know, this generation, what he means is this new generation of believers will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For one day, for that day will come upon everyone living on earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and to stand before the Son of Man. And this is the part where many of us have heard about the coming of the end times, right? And I, I do believe that we're starting to see some of these signs, but the truth is that none of us really know when Jesus will return. We can't know. The Bible says we will not know. He will come like a thief in the night. We'll all be surprised when it happens. But we should always be watching and waiting and ready for whenever that is. So how can we be ready to win this battle and of our lives? Well, he kind of spells it out and he says, don't let your hearts be dulled. The first one he says is with drunkenness and carousing. And, you know, I could be wrong, but I think he's leaning into more than just drunkenness in there. He's, look, he's leaning into saying, don't numb yourself. You know, I think this was the year of any other year where so many people were looking for a reason to numb themselves. They're like, this is so painful. I just don't know how to get through this if I don't numb myself a little bit. So they're looking for something, anything to numb themselves. It could be anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be alcohol or drugs. It could be watching TV or like being alone in your room and not talking to anyone. Any unhealthy behavior to numb yourself from the pain. But feeling was always one of the ways that God created us to be able to discover what's wrong inside of us. To discover what's hurt, what's broken, what needs healing. Pain tells us that we need to stop and take a look at what's going on inside of us. And we need to heal that. Some of us have been numbing for so long, we've just been bleeding out our pain on other people. <laughs> we've been numbing it. And Jesus is asking us to stop for a second and look and say, I want to heal that pain. I want to heal that in you. So I'm like 100% an advocate of therapy. Go, if you need to get some therapy, do it. Heal your heart. Heal your mind. But I'm, I'm also 100% an advocate that we can be healed by the power of God. And we can be healed in community by the love of one another. When we stick up for each other, when we care for one another, when we are the community that God's called us to be. He also said, don't become overwhelmed by the cares of this world. 
And I don't know why, but this one, this is the one that's hard for me because I find myself worrying about stuff that doesn't last, things that aren't eternal. It's the same thing the Pharisees were dealing with. You know, they're worried about their position and their promotions. They were worried about did they achieve enough things in their lifetime? Did they have enough accomplishments? What was their reputation going to be? Do we have enough stuff, cool things, cool toys, you know? Stuff that we think that matters in the moment, but it actually doesn't change us or make us better husbands or wives. It doesn't make us better neighbors. It doesn't make us better believers. It doesn't give us the joy and the freedom that we think it's going to. It just distracts us, and then we end up feeling more empty. But the promise of Jesus is that whatever your lot in life, whether you have a million dollars or you have two dollars, whether you're a Pharisee or the widow, you can have joy and freedom and purpose. Those things don't matter as long as we're living in him. So lastly, he says, pray that you would be found faithful so that you may be spared from the final days of destruction. So staying faithful. What does staying faithful look like for us? Faithfulness, sometimes, some days, it looks like just holding on. (laughs) It's just holding on. It's like, I'm just going to choose to believe you, God. It's a hard day. And I don't see you, but I'm going to choose to just hold on. And some days that looks like we're ready to advance the kingdom. Faithfulness means we need to advance the kingdom. That means we need to let people know about Jesus. We need to be practicing, right? Not just knowing a lot of stuff, not just coming to church on Sunday or going to small group. We need to be practicing our faith, living it out every day, people impacted by our life. Some days being faithful just means surviving the blows <laughs> and choosing to still trust God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the blow and know that God is bigger than the blow. <laughs> and he does repay, he does restore everything that we've lost when we're faithful to him. So... As we wrap up, and if worship team wants to come forward, um, I just really want to encourage you guys to, to think about how you can be found faithful. How, how are you advancing the kingdom? Who have you invited to church lately or small group? Who have you spoken with your faith about lately? Have you reached out to pray with anyone lately? And, or have you encouraged anyone lately? Just, you know, sometimes you get those thoughts in your mind where you're like, just think of someone. This happened to me yesterday. Someone just popped into my mind, and I was super busy, and I was like, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to have this conversation. But I was like, okay, I'm just going to text them. How you doing? And they text me right back, and they're like, uh, you picked really interesting timing. And I was like, I knew it. I knew God was needing me to speak to someone, to reach out to someone. Usually when he puts someone in your mind, he's just trying to get you to reach out and say, how are you? How can I be your friend? How can I pray with you today? So in our prayer time, are our prayers just all about us? Or are are we praying for other people? Are we praying that God's kingdom would be advanced? I just want to encourage us to think about whether we are, we're actually playing the game or whether we're just watching from the sidelines. Because God is calling us to get in the game. We're getting close, guys. Times are weird. <laughs> we need to stir up our hearts and be reaching out more than we ever have in our lifetime. 
So I think if you're just, just think to yourself and truly ask yourself, have I fallen numb? Have I fallen asleep in my faith? God's calling us to watch the signs and be ready and to go all in and to play the game, to care for the weakest link, to give our best. And so I, I never like to leave without giving you an application. And actually this came at like a perfect time. When the pandemic first started, we actually printed off these cards. And we said, hey, you guys, this is a great time to reach out to your neighbors and check on them and make sure they're okay. We ended up having a ton of them left. Eric brought them today of all days. I think it was like perfect, actually. So we put two of these on each of your seat. And this is a card that just says, hi, neighbor. My name is blank, and my number is blank. I live in this neighborhood, and I wanted you to know that if you need me to reach out. And it's like if you need to run errands or someone to talk to or someone to pray with, this is my name. And so I put these here for you guys because this is our chance to get in the game. This is our chance to say, God, I'm all in. I'm ready. And this is our way to practice. So I put two there for each of you, but there's more. There's a pile over here. So maybe you're like, well, I have 15 neighbors that I want to do this to grab more, please, because this is the way we do it, right? This is the way we, we take care of each other. And I think just for a moment, if each of us can like take a moment and even just close our eyes just to assess where we're at and no one's going to be like watching or like taking a list of names of who does what, but if you could just close your eyes for a moment and if, if you feel like maybe today you need to take a moment to just go all in you know, maybe you can just raise your hand and just take this moment to say, Lord, I might not have been practicing my faith, but I want to. Give me the strength, give me the bravery to do that. And maybe some of you are in here and you're saying, you know what, I've been numbing myself and I need to heal that pain. And if that's you, just take a moment, put your hands out to God and just say, God, would you heal that pain that I've been numbing this whole time? I don't want to be asleep. I want to be awake for you. I want to be awake. And lastly, if you have never said yes to Jesus before, this can be your moment too. You may be feeling something inside of your heart that is just stirring and you're like, I don't know what this is. I feel all funny and warm on the inside and I feel like Jesus wants me to have a relationship with him. That's because he does. And so if that's you, if you can just in your heart in this moment say, Jesus, I believe in you and I want to follow you. I'm sorry that I've been away from you, but I want to be close to you. So as we go into worship, I just want all of us to to really consider where we're at in our faith in this moment and go, Jesus, I'm all in. And as we worship, not hold back. Don't hold back. Unnumb your heart for a moment and allow him to speak to you in those moments as we go into worship. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to close this down in prayer. And then we can begin to worship with our whole hearts. Jesus, I just want to thank you for each and every person in this room today, I believe that you wanted to speak to every person here. And I thank you so much 
for your sacrifice, God. If we are feeling numb, if we have fallen asleep in our faith, would you wake us up? Would you wake us up and stir us up to live out our faith? If we have not been practicing, maybe we know a lot of stuff or we know a little bit of stuff, would you help us to walk that out? May other people be benefited because of our belief and our faith in you. And lastly, I pray for those who may have made a decision to follow you today, Lord. Would you just hold them closely and let them know how much you love them and that you're not going to leave them, that you're there with them for this journey. So God, we give our hearts to you again this week and we say we love you. And we're not going to walk into this holiday weekend with numbed hearts, God, but with a renewed passion and a renewed fire to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.